And as I was preparing and looking at sharing life and discipleship, it really got me to thinking about, do I really share my life? Do I really have a desire for discipleship? And in my research, I, I, I came across an article written by David Mathis. And David Mathis writes an article about discipleship, and he lists seven costs of discipleship. And as I was reading this article, I realized this is a big reason on why I don't share my life, why I don't disciple as I should, because it costs me. And he goes on to describe these seven items. The first one would be opposition. Sharing my life and discipling could lead to opposition. These people may give me the Heisman. No one wants to be rejected. Number two, attention. We live in an age of distraction. We've got cell phones always at our side. We've got computers. We've got TV. We've got sports. We've got everything under the sun, and it distracts us from the real importance of life, Christ. Number three was pleasing others. We want to please others. If you're anything like me, I want to make people happy. Well, sharing my life with someone might not make them happy, might not make me happy. The fourth thing he listed was perseverance. Sharing our lives and discipleship is going to take perseverance. It is not a sprint. Discipleship and sharing our lives is a marathon. It takes a long time to develop that relationship, to pour into people. It's going to cost you energy. Number five, it's going to take some energy to pour into people's lives. As they may push back, as you may just be tired after a long day of work. Number six, he says, taking the initiative. It's going to cost you stepping out in faith. And that's hard. And the last thing he says is time. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you time away from your family, maybe. Time away from your favorite TV show or time from not going to the movies or from your sports that you might want to watch. Discipleship and sharing your life will cost you, but it will be worth it. John Piper describes discipleship in this way. People need to become Christians and people need to be taught how to think and feel and act as a Christian. That is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, one who embraces him as Lord and Savior and treasure. That's why we disciple. Sounds kind of familiar, right? Lost people saved, saved people matured, mature people multiplied. That's what John Piper is saying. 
so that we may embrace Christ as treasure of our own lives. How well do you share your life? So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians today. And this is a book that in every chapter talks about the end times and what to expect and what to hope for and the glories that we get to be with Christ eventually. And it talks about sanctification, how we draw closer to holiness and how we build one another up in Christ. So let's read. Chapter 2, verses 1 through, 11, 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you in to his own kingdom and glory. So as we see in this text, the first thing we see is act boldly. In verse 2, it says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of Christ in the midst of much conflict. You see, Paul and the apostles had been in Philippi prior to coming to Thessalonica. And in Philippi, these apostles were treated very badly. They were beaten with rods. They were taken to jail. And I don't know about you, but after that happens to me, I'm more timid. I'm going to take a step back. Not Paul, not the apostles. They went into Thessalonica, and they were emboldened. They cared more for the gospel of Christ than the personal implications of conflict or harm. How many of us can say that we care more for the gospel than the personal implications other things have on us? 
How would it look in your personal lives? How would it look in this church if that was how we shared our lives, that we were more concerned about the gospel than the implications it had on our lives? You know, they had confidence in God. I remember several years back, Micah and Kareth must have been, I don't know, five. We were at the pool. And like any kid, they wanted to jump in the pool. I said, jump in the pool. They're like, no, Dad, I want you to be standing right here to catch me. You know, that's confidence. They had their confidence in me, that I wouldn't let them fall in the water, that I wouldn't let them drown. And Paul and the apostles had that same confidence in their God that they were willing to speak boldly. So act boldly in your, in your speech. Act boldly in your interactions as you're at the office, as you're with your family. Act boldly. You see, Paul's confidence was in God. In a God who created the entire world. In a God that parted the Red Sea. In a God that freed a people for his purpose. In a God who who would humble himself to become a mere man and take the punishment for a people on the cross. He shed his blood for you and for me. And he forgived us. And he would rise from the dead. See, this is the gospel that Paul proclaimed to the Thessalonians. And he had confidence in God. And see, God said that he's going to send a helper that's going to be with us. How much more confidence do we need? We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We have confidence in the word of God that it will not return void. We don't have to be perfect at sharing the gospel. We just have to be faithful. You see, as we look at verse 1, it says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Your boldness for the gospel of Christ will not be in vain. The second thing we see in this text is seek to please God overall. And verses 3 and 4 says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, to, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. You see, it's saying, we're speaking to you the truth. We are not trying to deceive you. This is the word of God that we are speaking to you. And we are speaking it 
to you on behalf of God who has set us, who has stewarded us the gospel. We're speaking to please him, not man. You know, and it also looks at the the motives. God who tests our hearts. See, God looks at the focus of our heart. We look at other things. Their focus was on God and obedience to Him above all. You see, I want to please me. I want me to be happy and comfortable and things to be convenient. They wanted to please God. God wants us to please Him. You see, I was in the military for for a few years and when you're a soldier and the commanding officer says, stand at attention for five hours, you stand at attention for five hours. If he says go left, you go left. If he says go right, you go right. If he says take that hill, you go take that hill. You see, this comes down to surrender. Surrendering your life God. And you know, it's not surrendering the big things. Well, yes, we want to surrender the big things, but it's surrendering the little things of our day-to-day life, how we speak with people, how we interact with people, how we spend our money, how we raise our kids. It's the faithfulness in the day-to-day. You see, if you're not surrendering your life to Christ, you're surrendering your life to something else or someone else. What are you surrendering your life to? Is it entertainment? Is it happiness? Is it comfort? Is it pleasure? Is it your spouse? Maybe it's your kids or your job. See, Christ gives us the example of of complete surrender. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he, he goes off to pray. And he says this. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, Not my will, but your will be done. See, Christ knew what was coming for him. He knew that he was about to bear the burden of the sins of the world, of your sin, of my sin, on the cross. He said, Father, take this from me, but I want to do your will. I want to surrender to you. That's the surrender that God is asking of you and me. The third thing this this passage talks about is 
share your life. You see, there's one overall goal that we see in this passage, and and you can see it in verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. You see, the goal of them sharing their lives was to to help these people walk in a manner worthy of God. That was their goal. So how effectively do you share your life? Let's look at five ways in how we can effectively share our lives. Number one, make God your priority. Verse 7 says, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Look at the imagery that we see here. A mother with her newborn child. Has anybody observed a mother with their child? They're loving and gentle, and their priority is that child. They want to see that child be cared for and loved in tenderness and compassion. The other aspect here is nutrition, right? So the nutrition that the mother receives in her diet, she gives on to the child. If you're sharing your life for Christ and you're not getting good nutrition, how are you going to be able to effectively share with someone else. We need to be in the word, nourishing ourselves so that we are able to share. The other aspect we see here is the child. See, the child is willing, has to receive this care from the mother, receives the tender care from from his mom. We've got to be willing to allow others to pour into our own lives as well. So we have number one, make God your priority. The second one is give up your life for others. Verse 8 says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. See, they had so much care and affection and a desire for these people that they were willing to give of their own selves, of their own soul. As the the Greek says, my own self and soul. In preparing for this sermon, I was talking with a, a co-worker this week. I told him I'm preaching on Sunday and uh, told him what I was preaching on. He said, hey, we're reading a book similar to that in our uh, book Bible study. And I just got a text from this woman. She sent this text to me. And it was a passage from a book by Mark Batterson. He's author of All In, You're One Decision Away from a Different Life. And he said this, 
He said, my greatest concern as a pastor is that people can go to church every week of their lives and never go all in with Jesus. They can follow the rules, but they never follow Christ. I'm afraid we've cheapened the gospel by allowing people to buy in without selling out. We've made it too convenient, too comfortable. We've given people just enough Jesus to be bored, but not enough to feel the surge of the holy adrenaline that courses through your veins when you decide to follow him, no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. What a quote. See, for Jesus, he was all in for you and me. He was all in to give himself up, to be separated from the Father as he took our sins on the cross. He was all in to forgive you from your guilt, from your shame. And he wants us to be all in for him. And if you go all in for him, you will see him work in a way in your life that you can only, can't even imagine. So how we share our lives, we've got number one, make God your priority. Number two, give your life up for others. And number three, labor and toil. In verse 9 it says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Sharing your life with others is hard work. As we talked about before, it's going to cost something. It's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you attention and time. And you see, Paul and the apostles cared about one thing. They wanted to remove as many burdens as possible so that when they shared the gospel with these people, that there was nothing there to prevent the penetration of the gospel in their hearts. They were willing to work day and night and then share their lives and then share the gospel to remove any burden from them. You see, you never know how God is going to use you. Several years ago when I was in training in the army, they were long days. You would get up for physical training early on. You'd go to school for 8 to 12 hours, and then you'd come back and polish the floor, polish your boots, get everything ready for the next day. But you know, there was this guy there that said, hey, Eric, I'm not sure what you're doing, but would you be willing to join me in Bible study? I'm reading through James, and I wasn't following Christ. He didn't know where I was. But he took that time, and after all his labor and toil, and sat there with me and read through James. 
You know what he didn't know? He didn't know that 19 years later that that man would be preaching to a congregation, that that man would be an elder of a church. You don't know what God is going to do through you when you pour your lives into someone else. But I can tell you this, that God will use whatever you pour into someone else and multiply your investment. So as we make God our priority, we give up your life for others. We labor and toil. And number four, set the example with your walk. If we look at verses five and six, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. See, as we see, we talked about before, God deals with our hearts. He looks at our hearts. And as we set an example, motives play a huge aspect of that. How we're sharing our lives with others. If our motives are not right, how are we going to be able to share our lives and set the example with others? We look at verse 10, it says, You are witnesses in God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. We've got to set an example in our lives and how we walk. How can you disciple someone? How can you pour your life into someone and not set the example? How many times do you see Paul says, Follow my example? Do this. We are to set the example as we pour our lives into others so that they can see what holy and righteous and blameless living is. We make God our priority. We give your life up for others. We labor and toil. We set the example with, with our walks. And number five, we speak the truth in love. See, for this one, this is scary to me. See, I'm a people pleaser. I want, I want people to be happy with me and comfortable with me. Speaking the truth in love just means potential conflict. I don't like conflict. And it says in verses 11 and 12, For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see here various de- degrees of action verbs. We encouraged, we exhorted, and we charged. Go do this. Speaking the truth is hard. And I think speaking the truth in love 
is hard, but it's also one of the most overlooked things that we as a church don't do. See, our culture tells us, stay out of their lives. You stay out of my life, I'll stay out of your life. But the Bible tells us a different story. The Bible says that we need to be part of one another's lives, that we need to be encouraging one another. This requires boldness. This requires the right attitude and how we approach that. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, let's see what that right attitude looks like. As we read verses 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is how we need to approach speaking the truth in love, with humility, with gentleness, with patience, with unity in mind. Because if you don't, unity could potentially be compromised. Which would then lead to discord and disunity. And God tells us that we need to be a church of unity. As we look further in chapter 4 of Ephesians, starting at verse 12, verse 11... And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attained to the unity, the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from, the whole, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. In love. You see, our goal is to strive for Christ likeness. It says that we are to grow, attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is our goal. And it says, what happens if we don't speak the truth in love? What does it say? It says, so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's a warning. If you don't speak the truth in love, you could potentially leave your brother or your sister to be tossed to and fro. Stunting their growth. 
Not only that, we could potentially stunt the growth of the body. This is for the growth of the body that we speak into people. We speak the truth in love where we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow. So it affects the whole body. You know, it's like disciplining a child. Right? We discipline our children in love so that they may walk in right ways. Our goal is for the benefit of this child, the same should be our goal as we speak the truth and love in others. See, speaking the truth and love is a grace from God. It can open our eyes to areas of sin that we may not be aware of. And it can help someone find a freedom from sin. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be burdened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you see the urgency and the criticality here? As long as it's called today, do it. Why? That you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, the example we have here is Christ and how he shared our life, his life with us. He came to serve. He came to deny himself. He came to serve. We need to follow his example and pour our lives into one another. See, it will be worth it. God will make a return on your investment because God is coming back. Jesus will come back. Finally, I want to point out one more thing and how Paul and the apostles approached these people that they poured their lives into. If we look at back in Thessalonians, Chapter 2, verse 19. He said, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. See, these people were the treasure of Paul and the apostles. They cared about them so much that that's what they held dear That's what they treasured, like a crown. Is that how we treasure one another? Is that how you treasure the person sitting next to you or across the sanctuary? If you all stand with me, please. So as we look at how we are living our lives according to the scripture. Is there anyone that you can think of that you might need to share Christ with? Who are you currently investing in? Or who do you need to be investing in? 
and which of these areas, these five areas that we talked about, you really need to work on. Would you pray with me?